Well, good morning. How's everyone feeling? Awesome, awesome. Wasn't that a great worship set? I mean, just to be able to talk to our Heavenly Father and present back to Him uh, how we feel about Him. He's a good, good Father. You know, even in the midst uh, of a chaotic world where crazy things happen, um, not just in your life, but globally, um, sometimes you can begin to wonder, is God a good, good Father? And it's difficult isn't it, sometimes to get your brain wrapped around that, where, where terrorists can walk into a, a concert hall and just start shooting, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of people who really struggle with the idea of God, a God who would allow things like that to happen, and uh, today's talk is not about how to make sense of all that, but I just want to encourage you, um, that's a real struggle, but I do believe as you sort through that and as you, as you meander through that whole maze there, what you will find is that God does have a good heart. He is a good, good father, and you can trust him. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, So if you're a guest with us here today, hey, you're in the right spot. Uh, Thanks for taking somebody's invitation here to be here. Uh, We welcome you. We had you in mind as we uh, were preparing and praying for this this service. And uh, there are actually three other services, two other services going on right now at a couple different campuses. And so that's pretty exciting. So uh, we honor you. We celebrate you. In fact, can we give our guests a round of applause here today? Thanks for coming. Uh, We hope your experience is a great one. Um, I told one of our guests here this morning, I said, we're the only church in town, first time guest, we're the only church in town that has cup holders for your coffee. Don't you love our church so far? So anyway, uh, but, but it is true. We, we're the only ones that have cup holders. Anyway, um, at least at this campus. <laughs> the others, not so much. Um, so what are we talking about today? Not cup holders. We're talking about being spiritual. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? One in five Americans now say that they are spiritual, but they are not religious. What does that mean? I mean, what, is it, what, what do people mean when they say, I'm spiritual? Do they mean that they love to take long walks in the woods? Do they mean, what, do they mean that they love to listen to music in a dark room by, by themselves? Uh, do, they, does, do, do, do they like to read spiritual books, maybe the Bible or the Torah or the, or, or the Quran or something like that? Does that make a person spiritual, that you read a spiritual book? Does it, is a person spiritual if they stay away from alcohol and drugs and bars and clubs? Is that, is that a spiritual person? What does it mean to be spiritual? Are you spiritual if you attend religious services like, like this one, or maybe a temple, or you go to a mosque or something like that? If you're affiliated with some sort of religion, the Hindu religion, the Muslim faith, the Jewish faith, Christianity, does that make a person spiritual? Great questions, don't you think? What does it mean to be a spiritual person? What we've done in this series is just tried to look at what it means to be spiritual through the lens of what the Bible has revealed to us, specifically through the lens of what Jesus talked about. When Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the true spirituality is a matter of another reality coming to bear itself upon our reality. I was just reading in my time with God this morning, which I always encourage you to do, to to create time and space uh, to to connect with God. I was doing it again this morning, and and I was in the book of John, and all of a sudden I saw it again. Jesus said to Pilate right before he went to the cross, he said to Pilate, Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus said, yes, but my kingdom is not of this world. You see, he brought a spiritual kingdom into our kingdom. Do you know that there's kingdoms in this world? There's, there, there's different people who are in charge and they have authority and they, they wield that authority. They... Jesus says, I brought another kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, to this world. 
And then, then he would turn and say, here's how I want you to pray. I want you to pray when you wake up every day. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you said that prayer before, if you're Catholic, you've said it 100 times, probably 10,000 times, if you have a Catholic background, right? Let me ask you a question. Is God's will done on earth as it is in heaven? Here? Yes or no? In pockets? In pockets, but certainly not all over the place, where ISIS runs around and shoots people, blows people up. Is that God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven? They think it is, but they're grossly mistaken, aren't they? So God says, hey, to, to the Christ followers, here's what I want you to do. I want, you, I want to tap you on the shoulder, and I want you to fulfill my will on earth that is, as it is in heaven. Because there are other kingdoms, and there are other people in charge, and they're doing all sorts of things that are not according to my will. And that's where you come into play. True spirituality is a matter of another reality. And then we have to surrender to the leadership of the Spirit in our life once we're born again, and then we have to live for the audience of one. If you say, what am I talking about? That was last week's talk and the week before, so if you miss it, you can go back and watch the podcast. That's why we have that, if you missed a weekend. Today, I wanna to continue to push on this idea of what does it mean to be a spiritual person, a, a truly spiritual person according to the Scriptures? You know, you, we can't have a conversation about spirituality without bringing up this word grace. In fact, I would argue that grace is the one idea that separates Christianity or, or the spirituality that we find in Jesus from every other spirituality out there. Grace. What is grace? I want to tackle that idea today. Some of you may have a good grasp on what grace is, but I'm going to present an idea today to, to you that I think it goes beyond what perhaps you have thought of before when this word comes up, grace. Let's start out what I think most people think grace is, at least those of us who have been around church for a while. Grace simply means the favor or the kindness of God. According to the Bible, when you look through the lens of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, grace is the unmerited favor of God, unearned kindness and favor of God to you. You say, well, how do you get that? Where's that come from? Well, in the book of Ephesians, this is what we see through the, written through the Apostle Paul. He says this, say it with me, for by grace, it is by grace that you have been saved through what? through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's nothing you can earn. You didn't, you didn't you live a perfect life, so then God you know, says, oh, I really like you, so then he gives you grace. No, it's nothing that you did by yourself. It's rather what? It's a gift. Now, when you earn something, it's not a gift, right? It's more of a payment. You put in 40 hours a week, you get paid whatever your wage is. That's not a gift. A gift is something you receive even though you didn't do anything to get it. That's grace. And if you put your faith in Jesus and confidence in Jesus and trust in Jesus, you have received the unmerited, unearned favor of God. And isn't it wonderful? <laughs> we sing a song, if you've been around church, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? It's deeper than the deepest ocean. We love grace. It's this, it's this idea that I did nothing to deserve God's favor, but yet I have it. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Anybody ever experience it? It's the closest word that, that I think describes it in the English language is, is romance. It's just once, once you've been swept off your feet by grace, it's like God, God wins your heart and you fall in love with him. But grace is also scandalous. You might be thinking, what do you mean, scandalous? Well, it's, grace is scandalous because someone who lived a very ter terrible life, awful life, heinous life, sin, 
murder, deceit, rape. Someone who's lived a life like that can receive grace on their deathbed. It's scandalous. You say, well, that's not fair. How could someone who lives a heinous life and a terrible life receive grace? It's, it's, it's just the way it is. It's the unearned, unmerited favor of God. You say, prove that. Well, let me, talk about, let me tell you about the thief on the cross, the guy who died next to Jesus on the cross. He was a murderer. And there he was paying the penalty for his sins right next to Jesus. Jesus was completely innocent. He was guilty, nailed to a cross, about to die. And he reached out in faith to Jesus. And Jesus said these words to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he received the unmerited, unearned favor of God. And that man did not have a chance to come down off the cross and prove to Jesus that he had a changed heart and he had a changed life. Nope, he died that day. And that day, after living a terrible life, he was a murderer. He went to heaven. Some of you are like, that's not fair. That's exactly right. Grace is not fair. It's unearned favor of God. Now, that's beautiful. We could, close, we could, we could sing a song and say a prayer and be done for the day and be like we had church. Don't you think? But see, I don't think that definition goes far enough. Yes, it is the unearned, unmerited favor of God, but grace goes beyond that. In your notes, here's what I want to show you. Grace is God's help for your life. It's not only the unmerited favor of God at the point of salvation, when a person puts their faith in Jesus, it is, the, it is God's help for your life and my life today, right now. Let me show you a few passages of what I'm talking about here. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Last verse in this book to the Corinthians. Paul says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, wait a second. If grace is something I just receive upon salvation when I put my faith in Christ, how could it continue to be with me along with the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit? Grace must be something more than just what I receive at the point of conversion. Listen to Paul talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Jesus Christ. So Timothy's been a Christian for a long time. How can he continue to be strong in grace? It's like telling your kids, you better eat your vegetables because they're gonna make you strong. You better do your push-ups because they're gonna make you strong. You better hit the gym because it's gonna make you strong for the game and play on the field. And those things make you strong. You know what Paul says? You know what's gonna make you strong for life? The grace of God. Grace is something that I continue, that you continue to receive after you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's God's help for your life today. I'll give you one more example from Peter. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace is something we can grow in, just like we can grow in our ability to do mathematics or grow in our knowledge of science or grow in our ability to be a better spouse. We can grow our muscles. We can grow our brain power. Guess what you can also grow in? You can grow in grace. Now, if grace is only something you receive upon salvation when you put your faith and confidence in Jesus, the only, the only people that grace is for is for unrepentant or unforgiven sinners. But if grace is something beyond that, if it's God's help for my life and your life, you can experience it every single day, and that's exactly what we need. Let me give you a definition of grace according to Dallas Willard. The grace of God is God acting in your life to accomplish what you cannot accomplish on your own. That's the grace of God. It's God acting in your life to accomplish what you cannot accomplish in your own strength. That's the grace of God. Does anybody, 
have a, an area in your life where you'd like to do something but you don't have the ability? Or you'd like to stop doing something but you don't have the ability? Can we have a few moments of honesty here? Anybody struggle with self-control? You'd love to stop eating, you'd love to stop smoking, you'd love to stop drinking so much, you'd love to stop talking so much. <laughs> you'd love to be a person who tells the truth but you lie. It's not that you want to be a liar, it's just that you just lie, you exaggerate, you fudge, right? You don't want to be insecure, but you, you, want, to be, you want to be secure in your identity, but you're insecure. You don't want to get defensive when people talk, uh, criticize you, but you do. You don't want it, but you do, and you don't have power to become that person you would like to be. Anybody have an area in their life like that? We all do, right? We don't have the power to become or be what we want to be or do what we want to do. You need the grace of God in your life. I was at a middle school basketball game this week. Do I need to say anything else? <laughs> and I'm growing in grace because what I used to do, and you can ask my wife this, what I used to do is just yell from the stands. I used to yell at the ref, I used to yell at my son, just, just do this, why'd you do that? Run! Rah! So I've grown in grace in, this, in the sense that I don't do that anymore. But what I do and I, is instead of yelling, I just talk to my wife who's sitting right next to me. <laughs> you know, so, so this week at, at the game, I'm just, I'm just talking to her and telling her, do you see that? You know, and as pastors, we don't use cuss words, or at least pastors try not to use cuss words, but we do say like pastoral cuss words that are acceptable. And for me, one of those acceptable words is, and if you have kids in the room, first of all, they shouldn't be here, they should be in the middle school department. But anyway, Aaron already talked about that. Uh, one, of my, one of my acceptable pastoral cuss words is suck. Uh, so, I, so there was a, something happened, and I reaned over, I said, sucks, you know? And, and I just, I don't have the maturity to hold that in. I would love to not be able to lose my temper. I would love, I would love to be that kind, cool, calm, you know, collected dad, blah, 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 you know, just chilled out. And, and you know, my wife, she just had had it. So she just physically got up and moved away. <laughs> All of a sudden, she's sitting in another section of the bleachers. I clearly have some room to grow in grace. I need God's help. So, so, so that night or the next morning or something like that, um, she, she says to me, why don't you just pretend like you're Dallas Willard and, 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 you, and you walk into the gym? I was like, really? I need help. I'm screwed up. But you know what? I have hope because we can grow in grace. Grace is God's help for my life, your life. Grace is God acting in my life, helping me to do what I currently cannot do in my own strength right now. You have areas in your life where you need that, don't you? And so do I. Maybe there's an addiction you have. Maybe there's someone that you, you've been trying to forgive, but you can't. I just watched something the other day, just reflecting back on the, the guy that walked in that church in Charleston, South Carolina, 21-year-old white kid, walked in and sat with their Bible study, African-American church. It was about... I don't know, 15 African-American people in there studying. He sat with them for an, for an hour. They invited him in, and then after about an hour, he took his gun out and killed nine of them. 
just watching and just going over it again, looking at how could this be and how could we live in a world where this happens? And, and then I saw a clip on a video where, where they were doing the whole arraignment thing and the, he has to come before the video camera and you can go online and watch this. And, and some of the family members through, through tears and through heartache said, I forgive you. And there it was, the grace of God. God helping people to do what they cannot do in their own strength. Could you forgive somebody that killed your loved one? Not without God's help, you can't. The natural human tendency would be to be enraged and want vengeance and to get back and to get even. That's the human experience. But when God's grace comes flowing down from heaven, supernatural things happen and everybody stands back and says, how did he forgive her? That's impossible, I could never do that. You're right. But with God's help and God's grace, you could do supernatural things, like forgive somebody who killed your loved one. Amazing. So here it is, God's grace is available to us. But most of us fail to tap into that grace. Why? I'll tell you why. Because most of us choose to run our lives off of our own strength. We're just going through our days relying upon ourselves. That's called self-sufficiency. In our marriages, in our finances, when we're dealing with our children, at work, we're just running off our own strength. And that's why most of us are not living lives empowered by God. There's no supernatural activity going on in our life because we are running our lives off of our own strength. We are living our lives in our own kingdom. And we've been saying through this whole series that the, that the, the true spirituality is a matter of living in another kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom has come. You can now tap into my strength. You can now live in my kingdom having me next to you the entire time. Here's the way Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul said, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You now, by faith, have a new address if you're a Christ follower. You live in the kingdom of God. You've been transferred. This Greek word here means to be, to be taken out of your place and taken to another place. You have been removed from your, your self-sufficient kingdom and you've been placed in the kingdom of his dear son. Now you have new access to power that is beyond yourself. But most of us don't tap into that power because we're living in our own strength. And now some of you are thinking, well, no wonder I'm, my life is just filled with anxiety and fear and frustration and anger and I can't overcome the lust in my life and the, 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 the jealousy or the insecurities. Yeah. Because you're, you're living off your own strength. There's no divine power going on in your life. This is what, this is what the Solomon was talking about in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. This is this whole concept, this whole struggle. Watch this. Some of you have these verses memorized. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. In other words, look to him for strength. Look to him for energy and power. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't just live a self-sufficient life pulling off your own strength. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In every aspect of your life, look to him. When it comes to your job or when it comes to raising your kids or when it comes to dealing with a difficult spouse or ex in your life or, or something like that, whatever the problem, maybe you have a sickness or an illness or someone in your family is sick or ill or maybe you have a sick, ill relative in the head. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And you, you don't, don't just lean in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Look to him. Lean into him. Trust in him. Pull strength from him. And then God will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That is our struggle. 
Most of us fail to tap into the grace of God and the power of God because we're living a self-sufficient life. It didn't have to be that way. There is grace available to you and I, strength for life right now. How do we tap into that? Well, Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us and then he modeled it. So let's go to uh, John chapter 15, verse five, verse four. I want you to see this. Jesus gave us the secret to, to, to connecting to this grace. He says, I want you to abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you if you fail to abide in me. Notice the repetition of the word abide. He continues in verse five. He says, here's the deal. I'm the vine, you guys are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is the one who bears much fruit. But without me, how much fruit can you bear? How much patience can you have? How much self-control can you have? How much courage can you have? What do you think, how much, how much? Well, as much as you have in your own tanks, see? That's the problem. Some of us have some in our own tank. And so we run off that. But Jesus says, if you want to live a divine life, if you want to have much fruit, if you want to have just unexplainable fruit in your life that has come down from heaven, you have to stay connected. You have to remain. You have to stay in contact. That's what the word abide means. You have to abide in me. And as, as you stay connected to me, the vine, the trunk of the tree, the divine sap flows through that trunk into the branches, and then the fruit comes. Jesus gives us the secret to living the divine life, and that is abiding in him. And he didn't just teach it. He also lived it out. See, this is a crazy idea. Jesus was 100% God. He was deity. He was God in a body, but he was also 100% man. Now, I don't fully comprehend that. I don't know that I ever will on this side of heaven, but when I get to heaven, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, probe into that. It's like, show me how that worked. And, but all, what we do know for sure is that he was God and he was man. And in Philippians chapter two, Paul says this, that he did not consider equality with God a thing to be leveraged or grasped. In other words, he laid aside his divinity and lived his life as a man. Now, from time to time, he would leverage his powers and he would heal people and he would do divine things like walk on water or turn water into wine. But mostly he lived as a man. He was a carpenter. He built things. He had to make a living. He took naps. Did you know Jesus took naps? I often think, why? Right? Well, what he did was he lived as a man. Why did he do that? To show us what true spirituality looks like, to give us a picture. Because if he was always God, we'd be like, well, we could couldn't do that. If he always think, did things like walk on water, we'd be like, well, I can't do that. Nobody could be like Jesus. No, he lived as a man. I believe he had blisters on his hands. I believe he got headaches. <laughs> I believe he got backaches. I, did, I do. He lived in a human body. He was subject to all the same things you and I are subject to in our human bodies. Does that make sense? And so then what we see, what we ought to see is him showing us how to live the spiritual life. And in fact, that's what we do. So one day he, he was mixing his divine powers with his humanity. And so he heals this guy of leprosy, okay? And, 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 and the guy, he tells the guy, he says, now go and don't tell anybody, just show yourself to the priest, but be sure don't, don't say anything to anybody. Well, sure enough, this guy's so excited. He just got healed of leprosy. He can't keep his yapper shut. He's yapping to everybody, blah, 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 blah. Luke chapter five. So then everybody finds out that Jesus healed them. So they all, everybody brings their, their cousin and their mother and their, everybody else who's got some sort of illness or disease. They bring them to Jesus and this big crowd is there. And then what happens next is crazy. Luke chapter five, verse 16. 
he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. He left. Now, if I was Jesus' leadership coach, I'd have been like, Jesus, where are you going? Like, the crowd is here. They heard about the guy with leprosy. And, and now everybody, they brought everybody. You got to come over here and give it like a little five-minute talk. And then there's a blind guy you got to touch. And there's a guy over here that can't hear anything. There's a guy over there can't walk. Touch him, touch him, touch him. Then give another five-minute talk. This place is going to explode. See? Jesus, you're screwing it up. Where are you going? And you know what he would have said to me? I have to go abide. I have to go get alone with my heavenly father to pray. I have to stay connected to the vine. Did he have to? No. Why? Because he was 100% God. Why did he do it? He did it to show us. You can't just go, 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 in your own strength. You have to step aside, create some space, and connect with heavenly father to draw upon the divine sap that runs through the trunk into the branches, and then the, then the fruit comes. Do you see how the spiritual life works? A spiritual life, a truly spiritual person, is running off of divine strength, not their own resources. What are we talking about in this series? We're talking about what does a truly spiritual person look like? They're running off of the strength that comes from God. And what are the, how do they gain that? Well, they gain that grace, they gain that strength through spiritual practices, just like Jesus did. He would fast, he would pray, he would study. He would create space in his life to stay in contact with his heavenly father. What is that called? That is called a spiritual practice. You hear me always talking about read the Bible and spend time in prayer and get a journal and write down your thoughts and meditate, memorize on scripture and join a small group and come to worship services. And what are these things? These are ways to abide. These are ways to connect to the power of God. Being in this service right now is one way to abide in the vine, to draw upon divine strength from above, which is why some of you come here and you're like, oh yeah, I do feel that. When I leave, I feel empowered. What? What's going on there? The spirit, the grace of God is flowing into your life. What if you did that every day and you just didn't wait to Sunday? What if you had a series of spiritual practices that you had four or five going every single day? The divine strength would flow from heaven into your life and bless people. And people would look at your life and say, how does he live that way? How does she live that way? They're always encouraged. They're always excited. They're always full of joy. They always handle their problems well. They're not anxious. They're not fearful. They're not, they're not insecure. How does that person live that way? You know, here's what they are. They're just abiding. They just have supernatural power from above flowing through their life. Does that make sense? That life is available to you and I if we should want it. What is a spiritual practice? What is it actually? Let me give you a great definition. A spiritual practice is any activity that empowers us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. <laughs> any activity that empowers us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. This is a unicycle. Now, I've always thought unicycles are really uh, absurd but this happens to be an off-road unicycle. Do you see how thick the tire is? Because somebody thought it wasn't enough just to ride around on the street. They had to go and mountain bike on a unicycle. So what I've been doing over the last year is practicing with this because I couldn't do it. And so I said, man, if I just practice and practice and practice, one day I'll be able to ride across the stage on this unicycle and everybody will be like, whoa. So I want to show you what, what, what I've done here. No, I've never practiced on this thing. That's crazy. 
That's nuts. I would break my neck if I tried right now because I have not practiced one second on this thing, okay? But if I did, if I got on YouTube and watched a couple of videos, I even had somebody after the first service say, Dave, I can ride one. You want me to show you? I was like, no, it's okay. But if I had a desire, and if I was willing to put in the time, 15, 20 minutes a day, do you think in about 365 days I could go from one end to the other and maybe do a little couple tricks? Maybe. <laughs> it's the same thing with this trumpet. This is, see, this is, this is a, I almost played the trumpet in high school, uh, but then I didn't. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I can't, if I tried to make, let me see. See, I don't know if that's good or bad or terrible. It's probably awful. But if I kept going, you would cover your ears. And the idea behind this is that everybody starts off with, with, with not being able to make a tune. But after hours of practice, and I had friends in school that did this, they, they could actually make, make some noises that were quite pleasant to the ear, right? Why would it be any different in the spiritual life? Some of you are like, well, I can't forgive her. I get it. I can't play the trumpet. I can't ride the unicycle. Yeah, but you understand, I can't forgive him. I, I understand. But what if you had some spiritual practices in about 20 minutes every day, you worked on that, and, you, and you, you created some space to draw upon divine strength? What if God's spirit could flow into your life, and his grace from heaven can come down into your spirit, and that grace can flow into, your, into that person's, the offender's life? Do you think that over time you could get there? See, that changes the ballgame. Spiritual practice is anything that you and I do that empowers us to do what we currently cannot do in our own strength. Do you see how the divine life works? Do you see what it really means to live a spiritual life? I, I, wish, I, could, I wish it was more like this, that, that God just zaps you with the ability. Like, like, it'd be, like, I wish God I could play the trumpet, and I pray a prayer, and he zaps it into me. Remember, remember in the Matrix, they did that, they downloaded everything into their brain? like jujitsu, and some of you, that was an old movie, some of you are like, what's the Matrix? <laughs> the first one. The others, I don't understand. The first one was really good. And they would just download all the stuff in a second, and they would have all these massive skills. I wish it was like that. The, like, God, I would just like patience, you know, zap, oh, I'm like the most patient person in the world. I wish it could get zapped. It didn't work that way. It didn't work that way with the trumpet. It didn't work that way with the unicycle. It doesn't work that way with forgiveness. It doesn't work that way with patience. It doesn't work that way with self-control. Some of you have had an addictive behavior for a decade. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, something. It has kicked your tail for 10 years. And you want something zapped. I just need strength zapped into me so I could get over this problem. It didn't work that way. It didn't work that way. You need some spiritual practices that will empower you to do what you're currently not able to do. That's why you're still struggling in that area of insecurity, or lack of courage, or fear, or worry. It's because you haven't put those practices in place. You haven't lived your life like Jesus. The reason Jesus had that power in his life is because he spent time in prayer, and fasting, and solitude, and silence. And so should you. you see how the spiritual life works? It's a person who is spiritual is not better. They're just connected. Say yes, does that, yes, that make sense? Yes? They're not better. They may be more spiritual, but it's not them. They're connected to the vine, so there's divine grace flowing, and that's what explains the supernatural things going on in their life. Their ability to live above sin or, or, or control themselves or whatever. And not get angry, these things. 
that plague most of us. Here's what I'm saying. Acquiring the grace of God in your notes. Acquiring the grace of God is not a passive process. It's not a passive process. It takes effort. Not, you don't put the effort in to earn God's grace. That's not, grace is not opposed, grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort, okay? It's critical. Grace is opposed to earning. We're not earning God's favor here, but we are putting forth effort through spiritual practices to add, that give us access to the power of God. You follow me? Listen, listen to what Dallas Willard said. I love this, because I, I can't explain it as good as him, so I'll just read you what he said in one of his books, The Great Omission. To the extent that the actual life my actual day-to-day life, your day-to-day life, not just moments of tragedy, okay, but day-to-day living, the daily grind, to the extent that that, the actual life of a human being is dependent upon his or her abiding, interaction, connecting with God, to that extent, that human being is a spiritual person. You say, what's a spiritual person? A person who's tapping into the divine resources of God through interaction with God in a by means of a series of spiritual practices. That's what, makes, that's what makes a person spiritual. In contrast, listen to what he says. One is carnal or fleshly or unspiritual to the extent that this quality of life is lacking and one is operating on merely human or natural resources. Powerful idea. Which one is it in your life? Are you functioning off of merely human natural resources or are you, is your life dependent upon the interaction you have with God through a series of spiritual practices? Which one is it? To that extent, you're spiritual. To sum it up in my own words, because Dallas can kind of be wordy, here's, here's, here's my statement. We're spiritual to the extent that we draw strength from Jesus, period. Is it my strength or is it his flowing through me? Is it your strength or is it his flowing through you? Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. The person who does that is going to bear much fruit, but apart from abiding, you can do nothing. Powerful idea. So if this were all true, right, if this were a subject of knowledge, not theory, not just what Christians believe, but if this were the, if this were the situation for every human being in the world, what we would find is the Bible calling us to draw upon this grace. And that's exactly what we find in Hebrews chapter 4. Check this out. Let us then with confidence, not sheepishly, okay, not in a shy way, but with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. See, Jesus sits on a throne, and that throne, according to the author of Hebrews, is a throne of grace. He is full of grace. He wants to lavish it upon us. What is God's grace? God helping us, God acting in our life to do what we cannot do in our own strength. God's help for my life today. This is a throne of grace. He wants us to draw near to it. Why? So that we may receive so that we may take hold of mercy and find grace in the time of need. That is the situation you and I find ourselves in. What does it mean to be truly spiritual? It means that you're coming to the throne of grace every day with confidence, asking God for help. What, what kind of help? Whatever help you need. Patience, kindness. You need to forgive somebody? You need some courage? Are you wrapped up with fear and worry and anxiety? Do you have anger in your heart? Is lust dominating your life? I don't know what your area of need is. Whatever the area of need is, you gotta go to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in your time of need. That's the spiritual life. You're connecting to God through a series of spiritual practices just like Jesus did. His was prayer, his was fasting, meditation, silence, 
and that divine grace flows through your life. But you gotta do it with confidence. The other day, my son came up to me and he said, Dad, Christmas is coming. I'd like you to get me this, this I, I something. What, I don't even know what it was, but it was $399. And he, was just, he just came at me with confidence. Just... It's right here, circle, circle, circle. It's what I want. You're smoking crack, kid. <laughs> the answer's heck no. You know, are you crazy? I'm not getting you through something for $399, some type of device. I don't, no, right? But man, he was so confident. His expectation was dad's going to do this. I don't know why his expectation was that. <laughs> but he, the rest of his evening, and even that night when I put him to bed, he was just in a mood. Because he was confident, he expected me to say yes. I was like, man, I don't, I, sometimes I learn more about God through my children than I do in any other source. Like, do I come to God like that? God, um, here's what I need, circle, circle, circle. And I need it by tomorrow. <laughs> that's, what, that's what God wants. This is a throne of grace. He wants to lavish it upon us, and, and we fail we fail to tap into this grace because we're, we're, we're thinking, oh, I can handle it. I can do it myself. Oh, how much grace have you missed out on because you're living a self-sufficient life? Will you draw near? So here's what I want to do to close this, close this service. The band's going to come out. We want, I want to actually create some space. I want to do a spiritual practice of worship right now, and I want to invite you this is not a walkout song. Sometimes we do a walkout song where everybody leaves. This isn't one of those songs. This is a spiritual practice right now, the spiritual practice of worship. We're gonna create some space right now for you to draw near to God, to receive the grace that you need, whatever that might be in your life, right now. If you choose to walk out because you're afraid of the lions at lunch or whatever, that's your choice. But the rest of us are gonna stay here and we're gonna come to God and we're gonna cry out for God's help for God's grace in our life. And then I'll come back up here and close us. Will you draw near? I hope you will. are many and they rise against me but I will hold my ground and I will not fear the war I will not fear the storm my help is on the way my help is on the way oh my God will not delay my refuge and strength always and I will not fear his promise is true and my God will come through always always 
remain standing very briefly, very quickly. There's some of you here today, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to step over that line of faith. You've been putting it off. Maybe you felt like you should do it last week or last month or whatever, but you've just said no, no, no. Maybe today is the day you finally realize that, okay, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he, he paid the penalty for my sin. I believe he rose again the third day. I believe that is grace, pure grace, unmerited favor of God, nothing that I can earn. Maybe today's the day that you reach out in faith and you receive that as the gift that it is. 
the amazing grace of God in your life. If that's you today, I'm gonna invite you to say a simple prayer. And this prayer is just faith. It's not, there's no prayer. The prayer is really nothing special. It's the faith behind the prayer. God sees right into your heart. He sees what I cannot see. He sees what the person next to you cannot see. He sees what's going on inside of you. If you trust, if you have confidence that Christ Jesus came to this earth and he paid for your sins on the cross, and you believe that he did that for you as an individual, you can have your sins forgiven and you, be, you can become a brand new person. If that's what you're sensing right now, if you feel God drawing you in right now, just bow your head and close your eyes and say this simple prayer. Reach out to him in faith. Dear Jesus, I do believe that you died on the cross for me, that you paid the penalty for my sin, that you were beaten and you had nails put through your hands and feet. You were mocked and humiliated so that I could have my sins forgiven. I trust you. I put my confidence in you that you took care of it all, that I might be washed, cleansed, that I might become your child. Come into my life right now, fill me. And help me for the rest of my life to figure out how to abide. To stay connected to you, the true vine. May your divine grace flow into me that I might live the life you've created me and called me to live. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer very quickly, as you walk out here in a moment, you can stay standing. Our church would love to put a gift in your hand. It's a one-year New Testament. And here's why, here's why. Because as you read this book, it is a means of abiding. Just this Wednesday night in my small group, we were talking, some of the guys were sharing. One of the guys, his name was Steve. He said, you know what, Danny? You've been telling us to read the New Testament. You've been telling us to spend time with God. What I've been doing is at lunch, instead of going to lunch with some friends or coworkers, I've been going out to my car and I've been spending a, a few minutes reading the one year New Testament. And what I'm finding, his words, not mine, what I've been finding is that God is empowering me as I read these words. And what I've been finding is I go back into my office and a mix among my coworkers, they're actually seeing a difference in me. A few of them have actually said something to me. This is what he's saying to our group Wednesday night. This is how it works. What was happening? The divine grace of God was flowing into him, and it was so real that it was evident to his co-workers. That's why we want to give you one of these. That's why we encourage you to read the scriptures. So if you prayed to receive Christ today, please, there's tables back here to my left and my right, your right and your left. I think I got that right. Uh, just go grab one. They'd love to put one. If you're in the balcony, come on down, grab one of these. And as you leave, as this is for everybody, as you leave, will you organize your day around specific practices that allow you to stay connected to, the, to God as Jesus did? If you do, if you draw near to the throne of grace, you will find that God's power starts to flow in you and you will start to see his divine power flow in you to do things that you could not do in your own strength. I'm telling you, this is how it works. To be spiritual means to live your life off of the strength that comes from heaven, not your own. Cool, good challenge. You experiment it with this week, with this week and see what happens. Let's pray. Gracious heavenly father, you are a good, good father. Even when I say those words, um, 
it's, it, it hits me right in my heart, God, to know that behind this universe, behind this crazy world, there's a good heart and it's yours. And you love us. And you gave us a picture of that love on the cross so that we should never doubt, never ever doubt how you feel about us because of the cross. Jesus, thank you for what you did. Thank you for being here today in our midst. Spirit, thank you for being here in our midst today, working in people's hearts, producing fruit. Help us to create space in our day to abide in you, to live the life that you've called us to live. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, next week, week number four, you're not going to want to miss this. We're going to be talking about what's going on in a spiritual person's mind next week, okay? So if you struggle, if you're a little crazy in the head, next week is going to be awesome for you. Bring some friends. God bless you next week.